along um, with me as I read in the book of Matthew, verses, I mean, chapter 11, verses 1 through 15. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is, it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you. Who will prepare your way before you? I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. He who has ears, let him hear. Morning, everyone. Thank you, Suzanne. I'm honored to be here this morning. Thanks for having me, Tim, and the leadership. Um, always wondered how strange it would be to preach to a masked crowd. Tim gets to do it every week, and now I know. Um, you guys look great. You look uh, mask-tastic today. So, Did you ever expect, did your expectations ever get you into a bind? Uh, this morning, um, there was a couple uh, back in the spring. This was in March. My wife showed me this picture of the sign guy. And it made us laugh because it was so true that three months into 2020, we were already looking for a fresh start. 2021, it's going to be our year, right? Uh, when the ball dropped on December 31st of 2019, could any of us have predicted what would have unfolded? Things that we relied on in our American experience, like graduation, sports events, travel overseas, weddings, Counting on full shelves at the grocery store were anything but reliable. There were things in the first part of 2020 that fell far below Suzanne and I's expectations for that year. Uh, one of those things was having to homeschool our children. Uh, in the Fisher household, uh, it is best when our kids go to school. Owen, Sadie, and Ezra, we love you, but you are best in school, and we are our better selves when you are in school. So that fell far below our expectations. But there were some things in 2020 that exceeded our expectations. And one of those things was that uh, we ended up having three kittens uh, during quarantine. And we were really surprised that you could actually sell kittens. That was an anomaly for us. 
Um, all the signs around Lancaster County that used to say free kittens were changed and they vanished. And signs went up that said, kittens for sale. <laughs> I had a couple farmer friends who um, had some barn cats and uh, they were just nuisances around the farm. But then when quarantine hit and those prices went up, they started seeing dollar signs. Their ex our expectations that we brought into 2020, some things fell far below what we were expecting and some things exceeded them. Expectations are powerful things and they come with everything that we do. Yet at least in my life, I'm often unaware that they're there and sometimes they get us into a bind. In today's gospel story that Suzanne just read, we have an account of someone whose expectations got them into a predicament. And I want to give you a little background about the story that you just heard. John and Jesus shared the same stage for much of their lives. They were cousins, both with extraordinary circumstances at their birth. Their moms commiserated and shared the mystery of God's work in their lives while they were pregnant with both John and Jesus, respectively. John and Jesus had a significant following wherever they went. And wherever they taught, they, they, people gathered around. And they, all had, they also had, each of them had their own disciples that followed them. And John was called to be the forerunner for Jesus. He was supposed to blaze the trail for Jesus. He was supposed to pave the way for Jesus' ministry. He was supposed to get people cleaned up and get them ready for Jesus' preaching. John was a fiery personality. Um, uh, in Matthew, uh, later on, it says that he actually was one who wore camel clothes and he ate locusts and honey. And I don't know much about the fashion of that time but, or the cuisine of that time, but I don't think, I think that was just as strange then as it was now. Um, John the Baptist was someone who idolized an old prophet named Elijah. Uh, and he, Elijah... It actually says here in the text that Suzanne just read that everyone began to compare uh, John the Baptist to Elijah. In fact, it says uh, in, in the text here, it says, uh, John is the Elijah you've all been expecting to arrive and to introduce the Messiah. And everyone began to see the parallels between what John was doing and what Elijah had done in the past. And just to give you, to, to catch you up with a story that you may have heard when you were in Sunday school, this is one of the stories that sticks out. A lot of them have forgotten, but there was a story of Elijah that I'll always remember, and it was the story of the showdown between God, Elijah, and his God, and the, the prophets of Baal. And I don't know if you remember the showdown, but there was, a, there was an altar there, and they had a sacrifice on top of it, and they soaked it down with water. And both Elijah, who was praying to God, and the prophets of Baal, who were pr praying to, uh, to Baal, prayed, and they were to, supposed to see whose God was real. And they were to call down fire, and whoever's God was real, the fire would consume that sacrifice. And in that story, it was God who came to Elijah's rescue when he was in that showdown, and, and it consumed that sacrifice. So Elijah is a prophet of fire, and John is much like him. If you listen to uh, when, when John refers to Jesus, he says um, that Jesus, um, he calls him the Lamb of God, and then he says that, that I, I baptize you with water, but someday someone's going to come behind me who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with what? With fire. 
So we see in, in John's life, he has these expectations of who Jesus is supposed to be. And he expected that Jesus was going to come with a similar message of judgment. Um, and Jesus begins to act and he begins to teach in ways that John never expected. Um, John wanted judgment. John did not want the ministry of mercy that Jesus was bringing. Now we get to our passage today and we find, where do we find John? Does anyone remember from what Suzanne read? Where is John located right now in this text? Anybody remember? He's in prison, right? He's in prison. Once the fiery preacher who's out in the, in the region of Judea and the Jordan, who's preaching this message of repentance, he's now bound and he's in prison. And the prison, if you read through the scriptures, you find that that's the place where God be, always seems to begin to work. Because John is not just in a physical prison of bricks and mortar, but he's also in a prison of disillusionment. He's also in a place of, his, of doubt and disappointment. I want to talk a little bit about that this morning, the place that John finds himself, not just in a physical prison, but also in this prison of disillusionment. And that's a big word, and I want to define that for us this morning. Disillusionment, the place where John's at, is the gap between our expectations and our experience. It's the gap between our expectations and our experience. Just a quick example. Um, I, as an Eagles fan, am disillusioned right now. Okay, what's the record? One, three, and one. Okay, why am I disillusioned with my team? Because I had high expectations for my team coming into this year, and it's not matching the experience and the product that I see on the field. All right, uh, why do I have a high expectations? Because we've seen over the last couple of years, we've seen a Super Bowl trophy raised, right? We've seen them making the playoffs year after year. And why would I not expect that this year would be just the same? But the ideal, which is Nick Foles raising the trophy, and what I see now is far different. And there's a gap in between. And I can become disillusioned with my team. And there are many ways that we can get to that place where we find ourselves disillusioned with what we experience in life. Um, and there's this question, and the question that I see in this text, and it pierces this text, and it jumps out at me when I read it, is John's question. There's so much emotion and feeling in this question. He says to Jesus, he sends his disciples, he sends them there with this question. He says, are you the one we've been expecting? Or are we still waiting? Are you the one we've been expecting, or are we still waiting? And I can imagine him in his prison cell, a window just high enough that he can't see out of it. He went from a place where he believed, that he saw God move powerfully in his life. He had expectations for what Jesus was going to do. And now all of a sudden he's bound, he's in prison, and he's not just in a physical prison, he's also in the prison of being disillusioned with his life. And I want to ask you this morning, have you ever been there in that place where you feel disillusioned with your life? I've been there many times. Um, and one of those times that, that comes to the surface for me uh, is when someone who was very close to me came and told me that they had lost their faith. And for our purposes this morning, I'm just going to call him Ryan. 
And you have to realize that uh, when I have this conversation with Ryan, I'm 29 years into a relationship with them. I've shared basically my entire life with that person. And I've had thousands of conversations about many different things. And they all came with the basic assumption that God is. And now, now we've, that has been called into question. And it came unexpectedly, as most of these things do when we become disillusioned. And now a conversation that always assumed that God is, now assumes that God is not. And the story of, Christ, of, of, of Scripture, uh, the Christian tradition that we've all drawn our meaning from, and gave us a common reference point for all of our conversations, is all of a sudden not there. And although in my life, all of my relationships mattered, this relationship with Ryan was my fallback. This was the one I went to when nothing else made sense. And I thought it was no more. And for several years, um, I experienced the prison of disillusionment. I did the daily grind, I put on my metaphorical mask, and I did life, but when I got quiet, there was an ache, and there was a tender spot there, and there was that place where I said, God, really? How am I supposed to go on? And there was a gap in my life between my expectations, the expectations that I would always have this person to lean on, to be my fallback, and what I was experiencing. And I hear that question of John, are you the one we've been expecting or are we still waiting? Have you ever been disillusioned like Ryan or John was with Jesus? Maybe there's a gap between your expectations and your experience with family or friends or people you've done church with for years that has changed. Maybe it's the way Christians are seeing COVID, the way the government has handled the pandemic, the way our country is headed regardless of the side of the aisle you're on. Perhaps it's your current health. Perhaps it's your career path. If you're anything like me, there's a whole list, and to some degree, there's a gap between my expectations and my experience, just like John was experiencing here in prison. So I want to wrestle this morning with two questions that I, that I see in this text. I want to wrestle first with what does John do with his disillusionment, and what can we do with ours and then, how does Jesus deal with John's disillusionment? So the first question is, the, how, uh, what does John do with his disillusionment? The first thing he does is, that I see in this text, is that he stays in community while he's in disillusionment. It may seem like he's alone in prison, but what we learn from this text is that he's not alone because obviously he has disciples around him because those are the ones that he sends to Jesus. He keeps his confidants close, even in the difficult valley. He lets them join him in his prison of doubt. And I've found that we need someone in the gap with us, because that gap is oftentimes a lonely place. There are times where we feel betrayed by God, and our relationship with God is strained. And it's in these times that we need what the Bible calls a mediator, Someone to go to God for us. And that's what John does. When he's in the prison of doubt and disillusionment, he sends his friends to God for him. So he sends his friends to Jesus. And what I find here in this text is it's, it's almost like, like John is saying, hey, 
I want you to spell this question out. I want you to say it exactly this way. I want you to put this kind of emphasis on it. I want you to hear my heart behind this question. And his disciples do that. They go with the question. They ask it just as if John was there. Are you the one we've been expecting? Or are we still waiting? My fear uh, for a lot of my friends uh, and a lot of those who I love in this pandemic is that a lot of times we're angry and we're disillusioned, but we're doing the thing that's the worst thing possible. We're isolating. And I see that tendency in myself when I have those times where I feel like I'm in the prison of doubt and disillusionment. I don't want to be around people when I'm there. But see, the enemy of our souls desires to cut us off from others and get us alone. And that's when we get into a really hard spot. And what I see in this text is that John kept his confidants around him. He let them join him in his prison of disillusionment. And I want to encourage us today to fight that urge to isolate, to stay in community with other people. And not only that, think about the people in your life. Be sensitive to the Spirit of God for who is in that gap right now with what they're experiencing, with what they see when they look out at the world. And maybe God today is asking you to take that risk to go join them in their gap, in their place where they may be disillusioned with life, because oftentimes that's a lonely place. The second thing, and I think it's obvious, but it shouldn't be overlooked, is that John takes his question to Jesus. John turns towards Jesus. John sends his disciples to Jesus. John faces his disillusionment. He gives it a name. He puts it in question form. And then he does what? He takes it to Jesus. In the presence of of the living Christ, there is no room for illusions. There's no room for anything that's posing as reality, but it's not true. First John 1 says, this is the message we heard from Jesus and are passing on to you, to you, excuse me. God is light. There's not a trace of darkness in him. When we allow Jesus into the gap between our expectations and our experience, we begin to see our illusions that we were holding. We begin to see them go. I want to share a quote with you this morning, um, two quotes actually, that talk about this, that when we meet and we encounter Jesus, when we, he comes into the gap with us, there's no room for the illusions anymore. This is what Barbara Brown Taylor says. She says, illusionment is the loss of illusion about ourselves, about our world, about God. And while it is almost always painful, it's not a bad thing to lose the lies that we have mistaken for truth. And secondly, this is from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, where he talks about disillusionment as well, but he brings it into the, the scope of when we, whenever we're with people together in community. He says, only the fellowship which faces such disillusionment with all its unhappy and ugly aspects begins to be what it should be in God's sight, begins to grasp in faith the promise that is given to it. The sooner the shock of disillusionment comes to an individual and a community, the better for both. If what Mrs. Taylor and Bonhoeffer say is true, then there is grace 
when we get to this place of being disillusioned because God is beginning in that time to strip away the illusions that we have about who he is, about how he works, about what true community is with other people. And this is the irony, the irony of the prison, the irony of the place that we think is the end. Actually, that becomes our beginning. When we admit our powerlessness, God's power is unleashed. When we accept who the people are in our community, not as we wish they were, but as they are, real love begins. Real love starts. I'm not suggesting that when we go to Jesus with when we're in that prison, that it means our disillusionments fall away instantaneously. It's a long journey. It's a long process. Uh, I heard it best described, the Christian life is a long obedience in the same direction. And it's full of lots of ups and downs. But I can say this, that um, in the case of my friend Ryan, and I believe that even, I was 29 then, it's been over 10 years of trying to reconcile that relationship, that Christ has been patient in that process and Christ has taught me things and shown me things that when that first happened, I never would imagine could have been true. One of my assumptions, one of my illusions was that, um, that I can't walk with Jesus and remain close with Ryan. I felt like I needed to be dishonest in one of those spheres. And you know what? I've learned that's simply not true. Another illusion I had was that the relationship would change and that we wouldn't have any common ground anymore. Ten years later, I found that's simply not true. I believe the relationship couldn't grow if we didn't have any common ground, and I found that there has been growth in this relationship. It's not the same as it was ten years ago. And I found, I, I believe, the illusion was that Jesus couldn't still be a person of wonder for me and intrigue for him. And I found that simply not true. Jesus is the person of wonder for me. It's a person of intrigue for Ryan. And yet in that, I found that we've had more conversations about Jesus and who he is than I've had with most of my Christian believing friends. And God has used that relationship to sharpen me, to grow me, to deepen my faith. And so what I'm saying is that I was disillusioned, right? But they were illusions that had to fall away as I stayed in relationship with Jesus and I invited him into the gap that I felt in that place. Lastly, I want to look at how does Jesus handle John's doubt and disillusionment? First, Jesus uh, does not rescue John. Jesus does not rescue John from his prison, but he does reassure him. So often when we're disillusioned, we want to do anything to get out, to get back to the way things were. It's hard to live in that space. It's confusing and it's disorienting, and we want rescued Jesus doesn't rescue John, and oftentimes he doesn't rescue us. 
but he does something far more helpful. He reassures John in a way that gives him the strength to stay in the gap and to not lose heart. And that's what we need. Jesus reminds John of the gospel, the good news. What does Jesus say? Suzanne read it for us this morning. Jesus says, Go back to John and tell him this. Tell him this. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the wretched of the earth learn that God is on their side. God is on their side. And this is what I love about Jesus. Jesus knew exactly what to say to John in that moment. He knew the difficult place that John was in, and he shares just three verses with him. But in John's world, John was swimming in this kind of text. He knew this text. He knew that it was from Isaiah, and he knew the entire context of it. Let me read the entire context for you and why this word that Jesus speaks to him was so appropriate for his place of disillusionment. This is Isaiah 35, where Jesus quotes from. It says, Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind, unplug the ears of the deaf, the lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. You see, for John, verse 4 was exactly what he had lived his life around. What's verse 4 all about? God is coming to judge. God is coming to judge, destroy our enemies, and he's coming to save you. John wanted the vengeance of God. He wanted the world to be made right. For John, this passage makes sense because you can't get the blessings before the judgment. For John, John's saying, yeah, The the blind see, the lame walk after the judgment. And this is what Jesus tells, this is what I believe Jesus, when he sends this message back to him, is trying to point John to who he is and to to what the good news is. And this is what Pastor Timothy Keller says. He says, what John also didn't realize is that the vengeance of God did come before the blessings, but it was directed towards Jesus himself. It's as if Jesus is saying, if my fire came down to consume the wicked, it would consume everybody and it would consume you as well, John, just so you know. And I would lose you because if my judgment comes, there's no one who, does, who, who, who lives an unselfish life. We all are self-centered. We all don't live up to the love that we want to have for other people. And we don't even live up to our own standards. And Jesus says, I come down. I come here. I come to you in a different way. The judgment of God comes down, but it comes down on me. It comes down on me first. He's saying, John, don't miss it. Don't let your expectations steer you wrong. John, and this is what I love. He affirms John. He says, John, you're the greatest You're the most morally sound person in God's eyes. But even if the person who is the biggest moral failure with the darkest path, past, if they are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, they are more beautiful to God than you, John, standing in your own righteousness. 
It's as if Jesus said, John, you're right about the judgment of God, but what you missed is that it's all going to be directed on me, and everyone else is going to get to go free. It's as if Jesus is saying, don't miss it, John. My kingdom is, like, is not like the other kingdoms of this world. My kingdom looks strange because the people who say they're blind, those are the people who see. And the people who say they see, those are the ones who are blind. The people who say we're great, we're morally good people, God, why don't you lead us into battle? God says, you're the least in my eyes. In John's gap between his expectations and his experience, Jesus shows him his need. And Jesus shows him that he alone can fulfill that need. Our questions might be different, but our source of strength in the gap is the same. Our disillusionment may be different, but the person whose life brings us life is the same. It's the same this morning as it was back in John's day. I want to close with three questions this morning for you guys to think about. Have you and I brought the things that we are disillusioned about to Jesus? And I think John teaches us something. Have you put them in? Sometimes we, we have all of these things. We're, we're struggling with all of these emotions of anger and disappointment and stuff. But have we put them into a question? Have we put our finger on the thing that is underneath all of them? For John, it was like, was, was anything I done, have done worthwhile? That was underneath all of the emotions he was feeling. Have you brought that, put that in question for him? Have you turned towards Jesus and have you brought it to Jesus? Secondly, have you asked someone to stand in your gap? If you're here this morning and you're saying, you know what? I know there's a gap between my expectations and my experience, and this is a really hard place to be. Brothers and sisters, we're called as a community to stand in each other's gap of disillusionment, to be there with one another. And sometimes we need to name it and then invite someone in to say, will you stand with me? This may take time. This may be, we, we like quick fixes, but this may take some serious time. But will you go there with that person? And lastly, maybe you're not sure whether Jesus is worthy of your life today. Maybe you've tried everything else to cure the ache that you feel. The tender spot when you get quiet that's there that you can't deny. And all I'm asking this morning, maybe you're not ready to, to jump on the train with Jesus, but today will you take a step closer to investigate? Is Jesus the one, the only one? that can stand there in your gap and be the one for you today. Thanks so much for letting me share it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much just for this moment to open up uh, your word. I thank you so much, Jesus, uh, for the great love that you have for each one of us. I thank you that if we're open to you, that we're never alone, that you are always there to come in and to meet us in those difficult places whether it's uh, no matter what it is that's gotten us into that, that prison of disillusionment. 
I pray, God, that just walking today in your truth, that we get a better sense of where, where, where are the illusions, where are the, the fantasies, the things that are wrong, that are just posing as reality, and help us to press in to go deeper with you today. And I pray that if there's someone here today that, that feels that ache and they've tried everything else to cure that, uh, that they would come and that they would continue to take a step closer to you to, to realize and to experience your presence today. And I ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.